Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. You just have to grit. You got to grit. Grit, grit, grit. Grit through it. And um, stay inspired. You know, it takes a lot of grit. There's peaks and valleys. 2019 was not necessarily an easy year. Uh, Super high highs, super low lows. And you just have to be ready for those. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Hope you're having a great week. I know I am, and you're going to have a great, great show today with part two with Ivan Dudinsky. If you need to get a hold of me, you can do so at Barry Katz at Twitter or Instagram. Just press follow and send me a message, and I will be glad to get back to you as soon as I possibly can. Thank you so much. Again, for all your support, you have no idea how much it means to me. And I just found out today, so early in the process, that Industry Standard will be going back to the Montreal Comedy Festival to be a part of it in 2020 for our fourth time in seven years. So very, very excited about that. So that's at the end of the summer in Montreal. And I'll give you more information as we go. And when I think of Ivan Dudinsky, I think of my friend Jordan Harbinger and his philosophy of skill stacking. And no one skill stacks more than I know than Ivan Dudinsky. This is a guy who started (laughs) as a dancer, then as an actor, then as a producer and a director, a creator, an entrepreneur who develops and launches television platforms, an expert in branding, and an author and a person who brings people together in a new and unique way through the sneaker culture with the book, The Art of Sneakers, Volume 1, and in his personal life 
where he's had a 20-year successful relationship with his wife, Emmy Award-winning executive producer of The Voice, Audrey Morrissey. This guy identified areas of the entertainment business. And underneath that umbrella, he picked and chose the areas of the business that he wanted to gain an expertise in. And then he created notable and long-lasting relationships with amazing people like Sean Puffy Combs, Mark Burnett, and Kevin Hart. And along the way, through all of these relationships and all of the knowledge he gained and all of the expertise he put forth into each one of these areas of the business, he was rewarded with the most prestigious awards in almost every facet of the business, including the Key Art Award, Cable Ace Award, Kids Choice Award, Grammy Award, and the Peabody Award. Although it sounds simple, it's not simple. But if you can figure out a way to master skill sets within your genre, your profession, whatever it might be, master them, then move on to the next area, master that, move on to the next area, master that, and keep going throughout the profession and then create extraordinary work in each one of those areas. And while you're creating extraordinary work, create extraordinary relationships. And then if you can, create an extraordinary personal relationship with someone who's equally smart and equally as talented as you. And if you can figure out how to do that, I can guarantee you, you'll have the kind of career that Ivan Dudinsky has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. So what's weird is that you're doing the dance and the choreography, but you're booking acting jobs. So you're not technically a trained actor. I didn't hear you say you went to acting school. I just need to know before we get into the next point, how do you decide from dancing that, okay, there's this audition. Let me see if I can crash this audition or do this thing. How do you know you could do that? And then when you book a movie with Christian Bale, chances are you're thinking, I think I want to do this as opposed to, I think I want to direct. So there was, there was a, um, this is a great question and, and I have a very uh, specific storyline from dancing to acting to not acting. So... Um, I, I got into acting through commercials. It was a great business to be in, in the nineties. You book a commercial, you work for a day, you get paid for eight months and you play golf in between while you're waiting for the next commercial. So 
that's what I was doing. I was transitioning out of, out of dancing. My last job that I did as a dancer was uh, Super Bowl halftime with Diana Ross. Kenny Ortega was the director. Um, another great relationship that's been with you for a long time. Another, yep. Newsies, director of Newsies, another mentor, another, you know, just visionary relationships. Yeah. Transition, you know, somebody who was able to transition dance and movement into, you know, directing as a, as a visionary. And, um, so there was a, so I had done some acting through the commercials and I booked some pretty big commercials and Joe Pitka was another you know, mentor of mine and amazing director who I studied, you know, uh, clinically, uh, of how he worked and what he did. And, you know, uh, for our audience, Joe Pitka, probably the David Copperfield and Howard Stern of commercial directors. Now, one thing I'll say on this podcast that is probably shocking is that I never understood how Joe Pitka kept working. I understood you do great, extraordinary work, but Joe Pitka was a guy, he had a huge temper and didn't have the tools in his emotional toolbox to communicate with his staff properly. And there's many times, even if he loved you, he would eviscerate the person next to you and embarrass them and emasculate them in front of everybody in a way that today you would be sued and you would be out of the business. Were you on the DuPont hot dog commercial set? It sounds like you were. I'll tell you my last experience with Joe Pitka. I represented (laughs) Jay Moore and Jay Moore, the Super Bowl commercial. He was the agent for Diet Pepsi. There was Jackie Chan. There were a bunch of other people. And Jay was working a day when those people weren't there and Joe was just going on a tirade on the person who was working with him. And I'll never forget what Jay Moore did and I never had more respect for him in my life. He just put his hands up in the middle of a tape and he said, stop tape, stop the commercial right now. And he pointed at Joe and he said, if you ever talk to anybody like that on my set again, yeah, I said my set because I'm hired as an actor and they're not going to fire me after filming three of these commercials. If you ever treat anybody like that again, I will get rid of you and I will not show up until you are gone. And from that point forward, there was never any loss of temper. And so when you say Joe Pitka, it brings back memories because one of the absolute greats, but had that cracked foundation. You never saw that. Well, and you no, and you you just said it clearly. Exactly what I was warned about, forewarned about, and um, Vince Patterson, another great co- collaborator, choreographer, director. He said to me, "Listen, if Joe talks shit to you, just talk back to him, and he will respect you." And that's. I did 50 commercials with Pika. 50? 50. Yeah. So I survived. Uh, And your job on all 50 was the same? It was either dancing or acting. uh, But he always, I was a go-to for him. And we had a run-in about three years ago. You know, here's my Joe Pitka story. So, So I am a young 
dancer semi-transitioning into acting but not really passionate about it. By the way, you it. still look like a young dancer. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. It's unbelievable. My kid keeps me young. It's unbelievable. So, um, so uh, there's this guy that shows up on set, pulls up in this beautiful mocha chocolate Carrera. Before that, he had a, a Jag. He was driving a Jag. But then he shows up on, on the set and it's Pitka and he's in his you know, 9-11 T, probably 74, uh, ducktail, brown. Like, who buys a brown Porsche? And physically, he's an imposing man. Jay Moore Sad. called him Chewbacca. Yeah, for sure. Long hair, down to the middle of the long gray sorcerer hair. <laughs> um, and, and, and menacing, you know. But, but here's a guy who was passionate about hip-hop, sports, worked with Jordan, worked with the greats. Um, in between takes, he would play music as loud as possible and shoot basketball hoops on the set. That's how he get inspired. He would pick up the camera himself. Give me that he always had an Aton 35 millimeter camera sitting on the side that was his camera and he would just grab it and so probably some of the best shots ever. These are all things that I learned from Joe watching him direct and I still operate to this day myself because of Joe. Um, but here I was a few years later uh, at a restaurant on Melrose called, uh, um, oh God, it's a Mexican restaurant that, um, Walter Mansky ran called plan check. No, not plan check. Petty cash. Uh, and petty cash was a restaurant and Walter Mansky ran Bastia for Joe when he owned Bastia. He was the chef there. And so I had worked on some cooking shows. I had directed some cooking shows, randomly enough, as part of my career. And I had gotten to know Walter, went to Walter's restaurant, Petty Cash, pulled up in my Porsche at the time as a director, and I was very excited to like get my Porsche and be like Joe Pitka. Pulled up in front in the new 991, went inside, and who do I see sitting at a table eating petty cash tacos with Walter is Joe Pitka. So I sit down next to him. We like, you know, have this great reunion. I'm leaving. I pull, my car gets pulled up out front and he comes out and he's like, how do you like it? And he wants <laughs> to talk Porsches with me. And I'm thinking to myself, talk about a full circle story. The, this guy that I, you know, like was in awe for so many years and wanted to be like the, the crazy director on the set driving great cars you know, there I was at Petty Cash and Joe and I are talking about, you know, the good old days. And uh, he's asking me how I like my car. And I'm thinking to myself, what are you talking about? Like, he's, you know, he's, I don't know, he lives in Santa Fe now. So you're an on-camera personality in 50 high-profile commercials, whether you're dancing, you're talking, you're still acting. <laughs> still acting, doing commercials with Faye Dunaway and, and, and Doritos commercials and Pringles commercials and Pepsi commercials and all the things that Joe did. And... I have, I'm, I'm going, I'm, I, I got signed by a literary agent. They're sending me on auditions for roles. And I go to this audition uh, for White Squall. And this is the moment for me where it's like, you know, okay, if I get White Squall, you know, I've done, I did Newsies. I had a bit part. I didn't have any, I had a couple lines, whatever, nothing. Um, but, uh, you, you know, White Squall, you know, and I'm auditioning for Ridley Scott. And I get a call back. And now I'm reading, I pull up, you know, back in the day, I pull up next to Ridley's in his car. He's in like this, you know, dark blue, beautiful Bentley or whatever it is. 
and I pull up next and I'm in my, I like literally start to sweat and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm reading for Ridley Scott today. Like, this is insane. Like, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not an actor. It's I, this is not my passion, but I'm going in for this part. I'm like, all right, well, today's the day. If I get the part, maybe I take the path of acting and I go down this road. And if I don't get the part, it's over. I'm done. And that was the moment. So I went in, I read and I had a shitty read, you know, and, uh, and, and I didn't get the part, and somebody else got the part of Rick March or whatever the guy's name was in the movie. It was probably like Balthazar Getty or somebody, I don't know. And, um, and I didn't get the part, and that was it. I was moving on from acting. And I said, That's, I'm not an actor, clearly, and I should really focus on this cinematography thing. And I, and, and I started shooting and making little music videos, and it was the worst time in the business to ever get into music videos because the record industry was falling apart. So this is like 1994-ish. Uh, I decided that I'm gonna become a music video director. Take all, the, all my learnings and, and so I, my grandfather helps me out. He buys me a 16 millimeter camera. Um, I ask him for the money and he, he, buys, he helps me buy this camera and we start shooting music videos and we, I don't know how to, I know how to shoot them. We know how to develop them. We color correct them, but I don't know how to edit them. So I have to ask around, like anybody know an editor? So my stage manager from Roundhouse says, oh, I know this guy who works over at Fox. He might have access to an Avid. Uh, what's Avid? You know, oh, it's an editing system. You're going to like it. It's nonlinear. You can jump, move stuff around. It's really easy to edit. It's not reel-to-reel because I'd done some reel-to-reel editing and I'd cut film. I'd spliced film, Super 8 film, you know, cut it myself, all that. And uh, so I go over and I meet this buddy of mine, Michael Dagnari, who's another dear friend, part of the art of sneakers. He helped me, you know, put this book together. And he, uh, he says, yeah, come on down, you know, late at night. Let me see what you got. Maybe we'll cut some videos and I'll show you how to work the Avid at night at Fox. So I go over there and the first night I was sitting down at this Avid, I was fascinated by the idea of being able to take all these images and move them around on a timeline and edit freely and 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 um i don't know i fell in love with the avid and after shortly after that i rented an avid in my house and said let's make a reel we shot all this crazy footage on video and film and 16 and super 8 and all these things and i did two spec commercials one was for nike it was a nike spec commercial 30 second spot that we shot in my living room. Uh, and then we did another one for Raygun Magazine, which was, uh, um, oh God, who used to be the editor or the graphic designer for Raygun? It was um, really famous graphic designer, uh, Carson. And uh, so we made two commercials for that. My buddy Michael and I decided to partner together and shoot a bunch of stuff together and edit together and we rented an avid put it in our house for two weeks and cut a reel together and made a nike commercial made a ray gun commercial got an interview at mtv and uh to produce and and edit a show called biorhythm went in showed them our reel and they were like when can you start and that was the start of uh producing and editing so i spent eight years editing after that and we produced Michael and I worked together and produced, I don't know, 10 episodes of Biorhythm. Michael. Dagnary. Got it. Yeah. Really super talented editor and visionary and music, like amazing music uh, 
music head, just knowledge of music is fantastic. And, um, you know, worked at MTV for eight years, did a bunch of shows for them. I did like the original sizzle reel for Jackass, fun stuff like that. Working with my friend, Lauren Dolgen. Um, and then, uh, and then after that, after MTV did a few other projects and, and was really ready to start directing. And it was very difficult to find a directing job. Nobody wanted to give you a multi multi-camera directing job because how do you, if you don't come up through script, which that was not my path. I was not going to be a script PA and then an AD and then a director. I had already done all. You had to jump those steps. So So how did you get your first break? So I, um, so I had been, I, I, I interviewed in 99 for a job late in 99 for farmclub.com with my wife, with my current, with my wife, uh, Audrey Morrissey. She interviewed me, uh, a buddy of mine who I'm, she interviewed you. Yeah. And she thought she caught me in a lie that day. What was her job on that? She show? was the head of production at farmclub.com for Jimmy, uh, Iovine and Doug Morris. And Andy Schoen was the president of the company. So Andy hired Audrey, Audrey, hired this guy buzz chapman who works with me and buzz chapman says i only audrey says i need more people like you and buzz says i can only recommend one person and it was me because buzz and i had worked together at biorhythm at mtv hey everybody i hope you're enjoying this episode as much as i am if you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business that's why i'm offering you my blueprint for success a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. So your first meeting with your current wife is 20 years ago. 20 years ago. You've got to tell our audience what happened when you walked in because they say that a woman knows within oh, five minutes of meeting a man if she's going to be with him. Uh, that's, that was, our situation was the reverse of that. It so, was. Yeah, I went in and I was, a, I, I was up for another job to go direct uh, Young Indiana Jones in, in, uh, in Egypt. So I was up for that gig. That was the scripted show that lasts about a year or yeah, two. Yeah, I was up for that gig to direct that. So I already sort of had something lined up. But, but I, that was I a single to, camera gig. Single camera gig. And this was, this was um, really uh, producing, directing, editing, self-contained early days of really short form content because they were flying me around at farm clubs. So I go into this meeting to meet Audrey and uh, I'm just blown away by this meeting and I present my resume and I'm like, who is this wicked, smart, beautiful super talented, bright, uh, like energy in my day. And I'm, and I already have a gig, so I don't really, I'm at this point, I'm like, this is a music gig. I like music. I like working in music. You're um, playing with house money. Yeah. At, th- at this point, it's like, let's see how this goes. But then I walk in and I meet Audrey and I'm like, oh fuck, 
like, I hope she's not married. I literally, it, like, within five minutes, I'm like, I hope she's not married. I hope she doesn't have a boyfriend. Like, this is, like, I don't know how this is going to end. But how like, soon before you found that information out? Uh, very quickly, because, so we had this meeting. She thinks she busts me in a lie. Because on my resume, it said, Michael Jackson, MTV 10-year anniversary special. Dancer. And she's like, or I don't even know if it said dancer, but I think I just sort of exaggerated the truth of my resume because I needed to fill it out. So, so I was a dancer for the Michael Jackson 10 year anniversary special on MTV. She says, so I see you have your, uh, MTV 10 on your resume. She says, that was my show. I produced that show. And I was like, she's, and she goes, I don't remember you. (laughs) And I was like, I was a dancer. And she was like, what do you mean you were a dancer? I was like, I was a dancer on the show. And she was like, hold on a second. She turns around. This is one of Audrey's quirks. She likes to save her production binders. So she pulls off the rack behind her. She pulls out the production binder for the MTV 10-year anniversary special, opens it up, thumbs down to my name, and says, is your social security number 471, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yes. As a matter of fact, that's me. And she's like, oh, you did do the show. And I'm like, yeah, I did do the show. <laughs> so she's like, I thought I caught you in a lie. I was like, no, I did the show. I told you I did the show. So anyway, so I left the meeting, uh, started doing my research um, very quickly, calling you know everyone who knew Audrey and was like, what's her story? What's the deal? A couple hours later, she called me and said, can you start tomorrow? And I was like, no, I can't start tomorrow. I can start on Monday, but I can't start tomorrow. And she was like, why do you mean you can't start tomorrow? <laughs> Um, so that started, uh, uh, the, the process of getting to know each other. And I was working the night shift and she was working the day shift and we weren't, you know, for two and a half months, I was bringing her, you know, Starbucks coffee and making sure, you know, Jimmy Iovine was super happy with the content that we were making, uh, together. And, uh, and we had a blast working on that project. And about eight months later we got engaged. So, so you dipped your pen company ink. Yeah, we kept it very... Isn't that uh, illegal? I don't know. In 99, I don't know, was it? (laughs) Um, That's fantastic. But yeah, so so that was the start of of an amazing relationship. And we, you know, formed a company after that called Live Animals and continued to work for Doug Morris on some really interesting universal music music projects. And then really was the transition out of editing and producing into directing, which was really the multi-camera thing. And... and, um, the first uh, shot I got at that was uh, was an MTV project. Again, you know, here I am. The 2004 for me was a big year. I said no more editing. I couldn't be in a room by myself with two monitors in the dark, staring at a screen for 16 hours a day. You know. I think the only thing that survives long term there are mushrooms. You know, I, I smoked a lot of weed to get through those days. Um, and, and I'm not talking about mushrooms and drugs. I'm talking about mushrooms in the dark in room. In the dark, yeah, exactly. But, you know, it was interesting because just being in a room by yourself for 16 hours and then, you know, coming back the next day to look at your work and just just tweaking and tweaking the work and finessing it and, you know, is a grind. And I wanted to get out of the room and I wanted to get on set. I wanted to get back to the days of working with Pitka and working with Bruce Gowers and working with Kenny Ortega and helping guide a vision and, um, and collaborating with people. And so I got a shot. Uh, Alex Coletti at MTV gave me a shot to direct 
um, the MTV um, shortlist in 2004. And, and I actually, right before I got the gig, or maybe it was after, I can't remember, but when I said no more editing, I took a, I, I, I took a 10 day road trip by myself to really rethink w- the direction I wanted to go in. And I drove a motorcycle from Chicago to LA with a camera, uh, visited seven national parks, um, told Audrey I just needed to get out of town and like do this and you know, fully supportive. And, uh, she was fully supportive. And, and when I came back, uh, I got that gig. It was my first multi-camera job. I tapped into a lot of veteran cameramen who I still work with today who were A-list multi-camera guys. And I blended them with single camera operators because I was a cinema guy and a film guy and a commercial guy. And I knew a lot of amazing camera operators who were not necessarily in the multi-camera world. And I blended those two worlds. And to this day, like one of my favorite performances that I've ever directed in the music space was an Interpol performance. And it was when Interpol was, nobody knew who Interpol was. I, I directed Interpol, The Black Keys, uh, Flowetry, um, uh, God, there was some great bands. I interviewed so many people for that project. It was such a great project. Um, uh, oh, Sigaross. Um, uh, Gary Clark Jr. And those are all, that was my first directing gig, you know, directing and and Beck was hosting the show. Um, and these are all my, like, you know, Beck was a a huge fan of Beck from day one, but that was like my, that was my first directing gig in the multi-camera space. And then I was able to cut the piece myself because I directed it and then it wasn't live. So we were cutting it afterwards. It was live to tape. And I remember sitting next to, Mark Romanic, who happened to be in the room, or no, it wasn't Mark Romanic. It was, um, it was who was there? It was me, Alex Coletti, during the show. He was producing, I was directing, and um, Roman Coppola was in the room with us. And I was directing the cameras and telling all the cameras what to do. And Roman Coppola was sitting there next to me, and he was like, "I've never seen anything like that before. Like what you did today, directing these cameras and telling them what to shoot, how to shoot it, and when to shoot it, and when to move." And to this day, when I look back at that performance, it's still one of my favorite performances that I've ever directed. So that was the beginning of the directing career. So really the multi-camera directing. And I did music forever. I directed Crossroads for CMT, Invitation Only. I did a series for MTV called Star Maker where I met uh, Sean Combs. Um, I did the VMAs for MTV Latin America and stayed, you know, I'm still directing. I'm doing Hip Hop Squares now and Martha and Snoop's Potluck Dinner and I did TKO and now I'm working on season two of Songland, which is super exciting. Didn't you create that show? We did, yeah. So um, Audrey and I and Dave Stewart created that show together. So um, it was amazing. Dave Stewart uh, came to us with an idea about doing this magical fantasy place where songs are made. And uh, I took a few meetings with him and worked on the format for the show. and, and, And Audrey and I, you know, developed that show with Dave and, and it's just been a, it's been an incredible process for us. It was three years in the development phase with NBC. Um, because we still needed to figure out what the hook of the show was, not, not the spinning chair, but what, what was the hook of the show? And it really came down to an idea, um, about having a, an artist in the room to pitch these songs to that you would just never be able to get a chance to pitch songs to. And when we were able to lock in people like John Legend and, and um, Aloe Black 
and um, Kelsey Ballerini and Megan Trainer. Those, you know, to have and Will I Am specifically is so amazing. To lock in those people to sing those songs and to hear these amateur songwriters come in and pitch these songs, you know, it's just it, you're able to change somebody's life in the room. Um, and that was really special. And one of the things that I'm most proud of of that show is taking all of the learning from all of those years, all of those deep dives and applying it to that show um, with the camera movement. With We were able to make something that I think is rare these days, which is um, primetime network television art. It's an artistic show. It, at the end of the day, it's about the creation of art, creating these songs, songwriting in the moment, producing in the moment. And when those three producers get there with a guest recording artist in the room and they are literally retooling and reworking and producing and writing lyrics on the spot, all of that is real. None of it is pre-staged. There are no, you know, there is, there is no, um, it's happening in the moment. It is truly happening in the moment. And to capture that process in the moment is um, really fulfilling as an artist. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. Sure. Tell me the first thing that comes to mind. It could be a word, a sentence, short little story, anything. Michael Jackson. Uh, the only person that I've ever danced beside who you could hear his clothes move in the room. So this sound, when Michael danced, you could hear that sound. Wow. Yeah. Martha Stewart. Uh, she's a firecracker. Um, hilarious, legend, gangster. Um, so sweet. Uh, but immaculate attention to detail. And I love that about her. Tiffany Haddish. Oh, uh, when uh, every season, when I work on hip hop squares, we've got to fill nine squares and 10 episodes. And I keep a list 
a personal list on the side for talent moving forward as a producer and a director that I can recommend for other shows. And it's always a five-star system. So I keep the names down and five, she's like eight stars off the hook season one. She's going to be huge. And hip hop squares, I think discovered her, put her on the map and now she's untouchable. One of the things I want to share for the audience that you guys probably are not aware of, but the way shows like hip hop squares, Hollywood squares, Byron Allen's funny, you should ask essentially there's an unwritten and unspoken format which is 21 jokes 21 laughs in 21 minutes and each person on the hip-hop squares is assigned a writer or two and they're given the joke and believe it or not these comedians or whoever they are on the squares or whatever they get there, they literally are given a index card, this is the question, this is your joke, look at it, this is the punchline that you're gonna say, and their only job is just to deliver a punchline that wasn't written by them, but to get that laugh every minute. And if you get that laugh every minute, chances are you're gonna have a show that's gonna be on the air a long time. All right, Anthony Anderson. The best part of the show with Anthony Anderson is his mama Doris. And what you don't see on the show is the script read for the second show with Anthony and his mother and the banter back and forth between the two of them. That's the real show. Awesome. Christina Aguilera. My first documentary, Christina Aguilera. Uh, went on the road with her and filmed her when she was 16 years old. And the, when Audrey signed on to work on The Voice, she said, Who's, who should we book? And I said, Christina Aguilera. And she said, we'll never get her. And I said, you have to ask. You don't ask, you don't get. Faye Dunaway. Faye Dunaway. The, unfortunately, the Pringles commercial that never aired. John Legend. John Legend, a true gentleman who came on Songland to give back to the songwriting community. Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg. Uh, there's a few people in my life when I was smoking uh, marijuana that I wanted to get high with. And I got high with Snoop at a wedding uh, reception for a friend of ours. And um, he turned to me and said, Oh, man, you for real. <laughs> Whenever anybody says anything about somebody who smokes weed all the time, they say, God, I just want to smoke or I just want to do. I think to myself, I just want to get sober with that person. I want to see what they're like when they actually come out. And the other thing I would say about Snoop is don't fuck with Snoop. Because um, he is a true businessman and uh, and is super focused. Betty White. Happy to have worked with Betty White on a show that she worked on in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 90s, and now, to tell the truth. Sean Puffy Combs. Brand extraordinaire, uh, mentor, friend, collaborator, legend, and hopefully... Um, Future partner. 
Kevin Hart. I'm really happy and glad Kevin Hart has made a recovery from his uh, accident. Um, he he is just a wicked, clever, funny, sweet, intelligent man. Your proudest moment in show business. When I look back at my everything from the dance days and the acting days and the cinematography and the editing to directing the moment for me that stands out in my mind is sort of the best day in my career was, and I hate going to award shows um, and because I produce them and I direct them. So sitting in the Emmys, uh, sitting at the Emmys, uh, downtown LA at the Nokia uh, best moment in my career was really being in the audience and being an attendee and watching Audrey, my partner and my wife get up there and accept the award for the voice, um, was really to me, a defining moment of our partnership and our career and all the hard work that we had put in for, you know, 20, 25 years working in this business for her to stand up there and accept that award was by far the, the best moment, uh, and highlight in my career. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. I still want to come full 360 back to dance and give back to the dance world. Um, a project, a platform for dance. And the most disappointing moment for me was when NBC passed on my big dance platform and dance show because I felt like I could give back to that community that I, you know, started my career in. And that was a disappointing moment. There was a time where a lot of networks were developing dance shows. Um, and I was working on three of them developing dance shows. And I had one called the United dance league. And, um, when NBC chose to pursue world of dance and not, uh, United Dance League. That was definitely a disappointing moment for me, but I, to this day, I'm still back out there redeveloping, pitching, conceptualizing dance shows to still try to give back to that early career of mine um, that really launched the entire um, entertainment journey. Last question. What advice do you have for the young person growing up in a small area of a state like Minnesota and filing through boxes in their parents' basement and working their way through the business and trying to figure out how to make it happen and to end up having the kind of extraordinary multifaceted career that you have? You just have to grit. You got to grit, 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 grit through it. And, um, stay inspired you know if it seems like and be open to change i'm always open to change i'm you know i'm in a place right now in my career i think after publishing a book directing network primetime specials you know for a long time all i wanted to do was direct primetime network shows and then it became well, i want to direct a big show for netflix and i got to do that last year um be open to change the next chapter for me, I think, is taking it back to single camera, you know, feature documentary filmmaking. 
Um, so I think I'm open to that change. I would just say, make sure that you're really open to change and you know, it takes a lot of grit. There's peaks and valleys. 2019 was not necessarily an easy year. Uh, there was peaks and valleys, super high highs, super low lows, and you just have to be ready for those. Um, and be able to step back and take a look at it and, and follow your gut. Ivan, you are a fucking force of nature. Thank you so much. This was amazing. Uh, Barry, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Great. All right. Take care. Long story short. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message. And one of these people will be a lucky winner. And they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on JG17X, April 3rd, 2019. The heading reads, Perfect Podcast, five stars, and the comment they wrote was, Couldn't be any better. Thank you very much, JG17X. You are a winner. As you know, I was fortunate enough to do a documentary surrounding the only living person to ever admit to killing JFK from the grassy knoll. This is a guy who spent 50 years in prison, just got out, and we have exclusive footage of his interview and over 20 different interviews, along with interviews with five of the greatest JFK assassination experts in the world. Once you watch these videos, your perception of the world and what happened that day will change forever. It's incredible. Just go to IKillJFK.com. You can pick up the documentary I Killed JFK and the rare interviews of five of the greatest JFK assassination experts in the world. I guarantee you, once you watch this footage, you will be blown away. To quote one of the experts in the film, when Trump said he wanted to drain the swamp, what do you think's at the bottom of the swamp? ikilljfk.com check it out and here's a preview of the next very special episode dean edwards just do it i don't you know i'm very yoda don't try just do just do it whether whatever your endeavor is just just get out there with if you want to be a stand up get on stage you want to be a, a, a songwriter write a song you know just, and, and then write another song you want to be a screenwriter write a screenplay you finish writing that screenplay write another you just you keep putting you keep creating because you are blessed with the gift to create so continue to create because eventually something will stick As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money, drive that fancy car. All the people love you, cause you're going far. Life is for the dreamer. They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same 
Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.